You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul explains that the God of Scripture controls life and death, noting the advantage of using extreme examples when teaching. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Can you talk a little bit about what that means that there is this Nishmat Chaim and what that means in the creation of the well, that again, you know, because uh, we assume that Hayim is positive, but Hayim, life or the living beings, is also functional the way I understand it. Because at one point, concerning the human being, it is going to stop. Which means when you approach the Bible platonically, you're dynamiting it. Because the being is in the soul, it's not in the body that is eternal. And you keep switching and so on, which means you're still there. In the Bible, no. The other side of the coin of life is death which means that life is a blessing from God and death is a curse from God. Footnote, that's why suicide is not allowed. It has nothing to do with what theology, the value of the human being, you know. Scripturally, it is not because you are treading on a taboo area. Now, how is this expressed in scripture? Uh, that is why here, Richard, we have to follow the story that is the medium that relates to you the meaning and function of words. Very early, you have the tree of the life and death. Notice. The good and the evil is the same thing. You don't have two trees. In the text, we have one tree. Now, continue according to this logic. Imagine you're reading Harry Potter. You have to follow its own logic. That when God did not allow man actually he exiled him out of the garden so that man would not touch the tree of life because he was touching it and he was living. Meaning that man does not have control over life and death. You can add his life and death. It doesn't add anything. And this is underscored in the story of Cain. Not he, the individual, nor the human beings have control. 
scripturally. Now you could tell me, but when I kill you, I have control. That's not the point. The point is to follow the story. One should not do that because it is forbidden. But people do that. David uh, had Uriah killed. I mean, it's a biblical story. But it is immediately judged. Now, philosophically, I can imagine myself at the age of 14, you know, excited teenager. But how come God decides to kill the first child of David from Bathsheba? Aha! That's the point. <laughs> it's fantastic, this story of David. Because people, how many times you have heard that it is God by his own hand, the Lord, that killed and struck him with the same verb that is used to speak about the plagues. I refer to that in my book. That's very shattering. Especially in our days, you know, the birth is the big deal. No big deal for God. Because according to the Bible, he gives the birth. Very early with the story of Isaac. Isaac did not come from Abraham. People tell me, how do you know they didn't sleep? Well, I think that at 190, <laughs> actually, because she asked him to go with Hagar. So where did he come from? From God's promise. But this is already very early. And the man knew Eve and she got Cain with the Lord. I mean, it's right written there in the original. Now, KJV and RSV say, with the help of the Lord. There is no help there. It is written with the Lord. So the story of Isaac, if you hear scripture correctly, is not that strange, if you like, for the God of scripture. It's strange from your perspective. Everything is coming this way. Now to come back to what you said about this life and death, it's like later in the law, the blessing and the curse, which is the life and death. But it is granted to you. Now, I like the story of the potter because it prepares for Matthew 25. Whether you are aware of or not, it doesn't matter. But Calvin was already imprinted with Greek philosophy, so he came up with predestination. I said, no, no, no. It has nothing to do. The predestination is always the act of God. But it doesn't become functional except at the end. Okay, and uh, soon God will have to answer Abraham because he... Abraham, actually, by that time, because Abraham almost cornered God when he said, how could you destroy the whole city? Let's say you have 50. I love that story. It's never ending. You know, nowadays, you make it in two lines. No, it's not that exciting. It's 50. Are you sure? Check. No, 50. How about 40? <laughs> but at the end, he said, look, Abraham, 
you should have just given in that I am a just judge and then behave on this premise, as Paul says in chapter 3, and not start arguing with me. Because as Paul will say, may God be shown as being judge, just and the rust of the world, lying, very powerful, that parallel story. So the whole thing is scriptural, but scripture, mind you, is not illogical. And logic has always, even Aristotelian logic, works on axioms. In other words, you have premises. And the premise of scripture is its own premise, that life and death is granted by God. Philosophically, when we, we can discuss until doomsday whether it is or it is not. It's like the silly debate between people whether the word has been created by God or it is what it is. I mean, you're losing your time. Can you imagine trying to convince a doctor that blood has the life granted by God? I mean, you're losing your time. This example becomes very important, you know, life and death. I think the most extreme example is not whether to choose to kill the enemy or not, but it's the decision that, assumedly, only a husband and a father can do, to decide when the doctors tell him, look, we have to save one, either the child or the mother. It is then that I would like to have theologians have a symposium. Can you imagine you have to decide <laughs> in this symposium? You're losing your time. Now, the answer of a Semite, obviously you keep your mother because you can make another child. It would be silly to keep the child. Do you know the poor child, he didn't have a chance. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is all Markad. But, but still, the choice is given to the only one who can make the choice for whatever reason. So that is the way the Bible is presenting, because obviously they had these cases in those times. So God is presented as being the one who has the power over life and death, the yes and the no. That's the scandal of the emperor in the eyes of the scriptural writer. That's the scandal of Alexander the Great. That's the scandal of Julius Caesar. It's the scandal of David and Solomon, that they would dare to try to wield or control that power. That's the showdown, so to speak. Ultimately, it is. Yes, very clearly. And in the Bible, you have so many stories. Scholars point also to the story of the punishment of David in his progeny, where his son Absalom was killed by him. I mean, they can see that it's not only that the first son of David was killed, but his other son Absalom and so on, and then the tension between Solomon and his brother. And You cannot see this. Thank you for your point, because how many times in the classroom you heard to give a powerful example, you have to go to an extreme, similar to what I said about the decision whether to keep the mother or the child at the time of birth. But if you say, you know, in the morning I saw someone who didn't stop at the stop sign, shall I go before it? I mean, do whatever you want. You get into an accident, the policeman comes and then... <laughs> You have to go to extreme. 
and the extreme of godliness slash absolute power, you remember that statement, power corrupts and absolute power, happens precisely in conjunction with people in those positions, which means, to go back to the Tarazi style, it happens functionally. That yes, indeed. I mean, the Orthodox always make fun of the Anglicans, you know, the Henry VIII has many wives, you know, but the Tsars did the same. It's a big deal because the birth of a child of a king is a potential heir. It's a big deal. And that's why these examples are very important. But the Bible already knew that. I mean, Cain is still individual, but a few chapters later, you will hear in chapter 6 about how Adam wanted to control the women and so on. And then, but more majestically, in chapter 11, with the city and the tower and Babel, where God's hand, if you like, was forced to intervene as drastically as he did in chapter 3. But again, you have the play. Just I need my hearer to cap as much as I can, you know. Sometimes I lose hope because they still are in their philosophy and they don't know the original and the word. The way, and I mentioned this in the intro, the way you had it play between, in the case of Tohu and in the case of Afar, you have a play also there between these two verbs that can parallel one another. Parad or Farad and Fus. It's the function of the spreading. Is it the spreading unto blessing or not? That is uh, the decision of God. And scripture uses that and Paul capitalizes on that, that the punishment of Israel proved to be a blessing unto the nations because when they were spread among the nations, the nations learned from them about the law. It's not that they were a blessing and you touched the garment of a Jew. No, no. And Paul uses this. But then he says, now that you Gentiles are privy to the law, the same rules of the law concerning life and death applies to you. And let me go on a tangent because it's dear to my heart, very important, the destruction of scripture in Alexandria that was the place where traditionally the scripture was translated into Greek. They took over philosophy, took over theology and destroyed the whole thing. That actually you don't need the Old Testament, remember the classical theology that Greek philosophy prepared the Gentiles to Christ the way the law prepared the Jews to Christ. I mean, would Paul accept that? And this is the basis of all theology. And here, I would say, especially in the West, at least in the East, they dream in their mysticism a little bit. <laughs> but there, this is how it functions. And I would like to repeat that this is not what Scripture is saying. And how many times you heard me say, you want to conclude that scripture is wrong? By all means, I'll be very happy because this way you'll save me time. I'll stop teaching you. But 
if you want to take it, you take it on its basis. The oneness of the good and the evil, the oneness of the light. Remember how early theology it was good in that, that it reacted against dualism. It opted what to take from philosophy and what not to take. But definitely dualism was rejected totally because it bluntly contradicts scripture. There is one source. And notice how this remained in theology when you had the tension regarding the filioque, you know, as the Orientals say, you know, you cannot split the origin among two. Per and again, I'm giving examples to invite my hearers to realize that this issue, it's a major issue, but ultimately I'm talking about scripture and not... Uh, okay. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.